0: Welcome to the Mokria podcast. Uh, I'm Adam Chavez. I'm here with Mills Baker. Welcome <laughs> um, we <laughs> to, uh, to all of our fans, all um, 12 of you, as this is only our second podcast. Uh, sorry for the long delay in getting this next one out. Um, we have been busy at Mo-Kria, uh making awesome things for people. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Apple Watch and we might talk about some other things too if, if it comes up. Mills, Apple Watch, what's your what's your reaction?
1: Boy, that's a that's a big question. Um, you know, I I have a lot of reactions. Um I think you you know, you I'm sure you read that uh what I wrote about it um and how I think it it's a product sort of the product arrangement, the product mix and and the way that they're structuring their offering reflects Apple's strategy overall. I think a really interesting thing about Apple Watch is, as has been repeatedly noted, it's the first product that Apple has undertaken completely since Jobs passed away. And it's, you know, I think it's very clearly a Johnny Ive product. I think when you see Johnny's team, you know, flying around to Paris Fashion Week and you see Johnny hanging around with Carl Lagerfield, I think you have a strong sense that this is a design team that is very excited about the fashion implications, the aesthetic implications. And I think sort of the the beautiful object implication of the category. But Tim Cook is the CEO, and so I think one really interesting thing about the Apple Watch is that it's the first product Apple has undertaken or the first major new hardware product they've undertaken under the guidance of an operations thinker and under the guidance of someone who is very, very, very keyed into the idea that Apple is a strategically distinct enterprise that select certain activities that deliver certain high returns um, and that differentiate Apple from other companies. Uh, So the watch to me reflects that. It reflects the fact that this is basically a product offering from a design team that's very much into beauty and into some of the more uh, hopefully positive elements of fashion and uh, an executive team that's really into operations and strategy and thinking hard about how to press and... Because uh, the bottom line is you're not going to see any other smartwatch that can compete with this smartwatch um, for a long time unless it competes orthogonally by having a very, very different type of offering. You won't see another one that, it, that comes in you know, 50 SKUs, some of which require precious metals and you know, come with leather bands and things of that sort. Apple has really put a lot of pressure on any entrants into the market. Um, I don't think they're going to be Samsung'd again. In other words, they're not gonna have someone else come in and start attacking the high end of the market. They're gonna own the high end of the market for sure.
0: What's your response to the conversation that we had about data, this idea that you know, maybe Apple's not the greatest at looking at large amounts of data and then contextually giving it to the user, you know, giving them like those, those kind of bite-sized insights. So like the four square, you get, you, you, when you get to the restaurant, it surfaces. Hey, the uh, the steak is really good at this mm-hmm. place, according to the data that we've gathered or whatever. Right. Uh, usually, Apple's not you know not super strong on those things, or at least that's that's kind of the common wisdom. When you look at Siri and and you look at some of the the uh, the foibles with using Siri, you mm-hmm. sort of get that sense that uh, this, some of these mm-hmm. these challenges have still you know are very much unsolved. What's how much of that is going to matter with the Apple Watch uh, versus, you know, versus versus not?
1: Well, since you and I have talked about that, I've thought about it a lot. I think it's a really a strong point that you've made, and I think it's a good one. I think it, I think it's one of the most interesting points that I've heard about the Apple Watch relative to its competition. Uh, you know, most of the analysis of this thing, just like with, with a lot of novel Apple product entries, um, essentially ignores the phenomenon of competition and also takes everything that Apple does as kind of inevitable, obvious, and maybe even the only way it can be done. Um, one thing, I, you know, not to recapitulate, but I've been greatly interested in the fact that I I haven't read any analyses other than, you know, the one I posted um, about why Apple has gold watch models. You know, they don't have a gold MacBook. They don't have a, a gold uh, iPad. The gold iPhone is not actually gold. It's just gold colored. You know, why did Apple go full luxury on this? So um, I actually think that thinking about uh, the competitive landscape and how you know competitors might differentiate is super informative. So Google does have a huge advantage with data services. Um, as you know, I actually think the advantage is not as big as people think it is. I think Apple is much better at services than people give them credit for. I don't think I think people just often ignore the scale at which Apple is already operating services hundreds of millions of messages and email accounts, hundreds of millions of video and music streams, purchased audio, backups in the cloud, photo streams, just a tremendous amount of of what are traditionally called, you know, thought of as data services. Um, and, 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 you know, pretty reliable. They've had some misses lately, but, um, I just don't think they're, it's, it's as clear cut a thing as a lot of people do. Now, specifically to what you said, or or to, to what you're saying, which is, Hey, is the watch really going to be worth a damn if it's not capable of surfacing relevant topical and appropriate data to people of the kind that a Google watch, let's say an Android wear watch might be able to, given how strong Google now is, is it going to be worth a dang if it can't do that? Well, I actually am super, super bearish on all of that data services stuff. I, bearish in the sense that I actually have yet to see it deliver any value. And, and, and let me really be specific. Mm-hmm. Out here in the tech industry, we're all using Gmail. We're all using Google Calendar. Or, or you know, some of us may be using iCloud Calendar. We've all got Sunrise. Yeah. We're all angry that you know the latest Fantastical release hasn't been optimized for the 6 the plus yet or whatever it is. The truth is the overwhelming majority of Americans are not entering their data into systems in a way that systems can then appropriately understand all of the information about this person that that, that the systems need to in order to make good predictions. So by that, I mean, whenever you hear someone extolling the virtues of Google Now, they say something like this, man, it's incredible. I was leaving TechCrunch Disrupt, okay, because I had to catch a flight out of SFO to go to New York for the 500 Startups event that I was going to appear at. And Google now, without me doing anything, said, hey, there's a lot of traffic on your, uh, on your drive down to SFO for your appointment uh, you know, uh, which, that you've made in your calendar that you have a flight here. And by the way, here's your boarding pass, which is in Gmail. Well that's awesome, except that I'd say 90% of users don't put their flights on a calendar, don't put their conferences on a calendar, in fact don't go to conferences, in fact don't care about conferences are not leading this tech entrepreneur globe trotting lifestyle where they have a huge amount of annotated, metadata-rich information about who they are ready for systems to integrate and represent back to them. So boiling that all up, when you remember the original iPhone introduction, one of the big magic moments that it constituted for regular users when you'd see people in bars, if you went to Houston, Texas, or if you went to you know, Florida and you saw somebody in a bar with, and, and everybody crowded around the new iPhone, they'd never seen one before. I remember especially things like taking a picture and then pinching to Zoom. That's a magic moment. That moment is when everyday users saw the iPhone's power, the interface's power, how easy it was. They didn't really think in terms of, wow, what a powerful interface. They just got it all of a sudden. You got the tactility and the physicality of it, and it was great. I don't see anything like that now or on the immediate horizon for integrating data services. In other words, I don't see a situation where I'm down in Houston, Texas, and my Android phone says, Mills, you're not going to believe it. But you actually are, you know, I know you love figs and there's a great deal on figs at the farmer's market across town. But by the way, right now, I-10 is really, really congested with traffic. So you should probably not take that, you know, to take go around Houston, use the loop, whatever. I don't see that happening for regular users at all. I, I just don't see it. I, you know, I, in other words, I, I see Google picking off use cases where they can do this for users who happen to be in their richly... Um, uh, you know, sort of richly participatory ecosystem, and and I see Google saying, "Look how great it is!" If you're on your way to SFO, I don't see any regular people out in the world feeling that Google now is actually delivering value. I just don't see it. I mean, literally, I don't see it among consumers, and I don't see it in the product itself. So, could that be something that happens in a year that Google now is incredible at contextual suggestions and real-time information? Maybe, but I actually really doubt it. Data services are one of these things that always looks better in the demo, whereas a really usable UI and, and 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 features that are targeted at the individual. I have a lot more confidence in a company like Apple's ability to deliver.
0: So I think that's I think that's mostly right. I think um, given given that, um, what
1: what's up with Siri? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. I actually I, I was going to say that at the outset. Yeah, Siri's not good. Um, Siri's just not good. I think. I think there are a bunch of things happening there. I you know, to some extent, Apple's commitment to privacy policies and to, you know, data security for individual users may be impairing their ability to improve Siri rapidly. But I don't know about that. And I don't, I don't know that that's true. I I have no personal insight into what's going on in the Siri, the Siri unit of the Siri teams at Apple. I think the real blunder with Siri is not so much how bad it is now, but how oversold it was at introduction. Mm -hmm. If you remember correctly, the 4S was a lot of people said the S stood for Siri. I mean, the idea now, if you were to look at the six, for example, and say, yeah, I think one of its killer features is Siri. I don't think anybody would really agree with that anywhere. Now I don't, now let me step back. I don't know what usage rates are for Siri. I have no real insight into the data. So I'm really, you know, kind of speaking purely, um, uh, you know, uh, hypothetically or just speculatively here. And, and it's, it's bad. I shouldn't be doing this. However, um, I do know individual users, especially older users, who like Siri. Um, My girlfriend's mother periodically has interactions with her phone and texts us, although really that's more about voice dictation than about Siri per se. So I guess to to step this out, I don't think voice interaction and and virtual assistant technology is far enough along for it to actually be a super compelling or exciting product or feature for most users. Um, And I think Apple has either taking their foot off the gas with Siri or it's languishing. I I don't know, but I will say this. um, It is not unprecedented for Apple to have little technology and brand backwaters where they just aren't paying enough attention to a given feature, service, application, um, and it it just kind of idles for a long, long time, longer than people can believe. They've had models that take forever to refresh. Um, So, you know, I don't know what's going on with Siri. I don't think Siri's good. I also don't think there are many people who are buying Android because Siri's not good enough.
0: Yeah, and I think, so one of the things that I'm stepping back a little bit and just taking a look at um, the market, uh, I I do think that you're right that this isn't really impacting sales. Like, uh, the the iPhone is still far and away sort of the, the most profitable. Uh, smartphone, you know, there there's a there is you know Android obviously has a lot of market share, but when you look at who's buying Android devices versus who's buying the average iPhone, the iPhone still uh, takes most of the revenue, and and uh, and then not. so from that perspective, Apple's still winning. I mean, they're still doing what Apple does best, you know, selling a premium product at a price point that's going to allow them to have uh, lots of margin and really focus in on. Uh, on that that product, it's it just it's interesting how different some of the experiences are because like when I look at the, the smartphone, my ideal setup for a smartphone would be to mix and match a lot of the different services. So
1: you know having
0: ways, for example, uh, as my navigator would be cool, being able to access Google now, being able to have a, a tighter integration with Google now would be great. I, in other words, it, I think Apple uh, it would, be, it would be a great world if Apple could focus on what Apple does best, which is um, creating products that are extremely you know, easy to use and creating products that are beautiful and creating products that have a, have a great UI and they solve all these really interesting UI challenges like they did with the, the, the Apple Watch and the, 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 um, the knob on the, on the right-hand side, and then have Google focus on what Google I think is, is, is good at, which is um, taking all this data And presenting it presenting it to the user in a way that's uh, intelligible and contextual. If they could, if if those two, in other words, if if we could, you know, rewind time and go back to the time when uh, 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 Schmidt sat on Apple's board and they had you know a a friendlier relationship and they were working together, I think the user would get a a better experience uh,
1: overall. I I actually completely agree with that, and and that's one of the reasons why I have real an honest personal antipathy for Schmidt and for Andy Rubin, because I feel that, you know, I I saw an article the other day about Schmidt where he was bragging, you know, Schmidt is always congratulating himself for the wisdom of his decisions. And as far as I can tell, I mean, well, forgive, that's a sidetrack. Schmidt was saying that um, it's a really wonderful thing for contemporary consumers that Google and Apple compete. And, you know, that's, that's always what, um, the, uh, the market participant in Google's position says, right. Google is very, you know, one of their marketing themes is that they're open, they prefer choice, they prefer competition. Um, you know, there's really very little evidence that Google has any understanding of what that means for core businesses. Google doesn't prefer choice openness or competition for their core business. And they, they don't respect when other companies have core businesses that they don't want, uh, you know, openness and core, uh, and competition with them. Um, like a lot of, I think, ideological, uh, it's a little bit of a, I think it's a little bit false, but putting that aside, I think consumers were best served by exactly that arrangement. And I think that arrangement probably would have continued had Android not, you know, sort of made the decision to just wholly and blatantly um, imitate iOS, um, which I do believe that they did. I basically think they saw the writing on the wall and they decided they should do that. I actually, and I, and I also wonder, you know, economically how that's in total worked out for them. Uh, You know, Google doesn't make a fortune off of, you know, um, a stripped and uh, de-Googled Android handset sold in in China. So I don't know. Um, A lot of this stuff is really outside of my domain, but... I definitely agree that uh, in the early days of, of iOS it seemed like there was going to be a really harmonious marriage of Google services and, and Apple products. You know, Apple doesn't want to do those services and I think you even see some reluctance. Um, Apple Maps, I think they've managed to somehow get some inertia behind, but you know, when you think about something like iCloud Mail, and if you're one of the people at Apple working on iCloud Mail, I mean, you're basically in a situation where your job is to provide something that's as good as Gmail, but probably with a fraction of the resources, and more importantly, a fraction of the executive team and the company's focus, attention, and support. You're really on the periphery trying to build a web service and a, you know, a mail service. And so, you know, I, I always think about those guys, like, I'm sure a lot of them would, would much prefer, <laughs> prefer to be doing something else, or, or rather, I guess, Apple would prefer to be focusing on its core, on its core uh, strategic activities. And I think Especially with maps like we've all you and I have had this conversation before it is incredible to me the duplication of effort and redundancy that we see it just in terms of a species progress perspective right like I, mm-hmm. I, I looking how how able are humans to navigate the world, you know spontaneously using their mobile devices. Well, the development of Apple Maps didn't really enhance that very much and instead we just had to duplicate an existing solution due to capital competition reasons, um, you know, <laughs> capitalism. I think it's a good example that capitalism is not all about efficiency. It's about certain kinds of efficiency and not other kinds. And in this case, I think you see a really inefficient duplication of uh, you know, software development effort. But anyway, that's all by the by. Yeah, I, I,
0: I just read uh, Zero to One, Peter Thiel. Um, and he, he makes the case for basically for capitalism that that is okay with natural monopolies, um, and it's also confident enough in the uh, in the process to understand that as long as there is enough capital and enough incentive, eventually those natural monopolies will be replaced by, by better alternatives. You know, he thinks we're too too afraid of monopolies. Um, the whole book is is a, is a great read, but um, I agree. I agree with that. Curious to find out, like, if, do you see anything that, do you have any opinions on what's coming over the next few years at Apple? Any ideas or thoughts?
1: Yeah, actually, okay, so uh, I'll try to come up with some. Um, You know, if, you know, I've been an Apple dork since maybe 1993 or so, and the, the company's had more than one exciting. And, and bust cycle in there. I think, you know, everybody knows of, obviously about the Steve Jobs arc, but there, there was more than that. You know, Jobs came back and launched the I, the iMac and it was like a very exciting deal for a couple of years, but then it didn't really move any needles and the iPod came out and everybody thought of the iPod as being a mostly irrelevant accessory that only a very small number of people would want. I was telling this to my girlfriend the other night. Um, it, it, interestingly, when the iPod came out and I was running around New Orleans with it in 2001 or 2002, when I would show people the iPod or when they would see the white headphones and say, what's that? Or maybe, maybe a very small percentage of them had heard of it. And I would tell them, oh, this is a, this is a little gizmo that'll hold you know, th- a thousand songs in your pocket. The response that most people had was not, it's too expensive. It was not, I'm waiting for a thinner, lighter version. It was not, I don't like the way it looks. It was not, I need it on Windows. It was none of those things. It was, why would I want to carry around music? Why would I want to carry around music? Who needs to walk around with music all the time? Just 20 years before, 10 years before, when the Walkman comes out, you know, I think people forget this. The Walkman was a a successful product, but not everybody bought a Walkman. Not everybody saw the immediate need to be accompanied by music. And there's a general kind of cultural attitude that the iPod sort of ties into and maybe even you know, catalyzes or promotes, which is, you know, that you always want to have your music with you. You always want to be capable of listening to music. And I think, you know, the exercise boom, old iPod growth enormously, but it's worth remembering when you think about the Apple watch that when the iPod came out, everybody thought it was sort of not quite good enough, not technologically far along enough yet. You know, uh, the famous slash dot commander taco comment No wireless, less space than a nomad. Lame. So the technical people thought it was garbage. Most consumers, it wasn't on their radar as a need they needed addressed. Nobody was walking around going, God, I want to be able to carry more music and I just can't figure out how to. CDs aren't good enough. How do I get more music in my pockets? So one thing that you heard a lot when the watch came out is people saying, I just don't see the killer app for it. And I think this has a little bit more in common with iPod than with iPhone. It is not a product replacement. It is more something that they will introduce and develop uses for. And I think people will see the utility over time. So, in answer to your question, what do I see happening at Apple over the next few years? I think V2 of the watch will be really important. Um, I think continued refinements to the iPhone line. I think you could see diversification in their mix, continuing diversification in that iPhone mix. I have some moderate concerns about software quality, uh, and this is gonna sound awful and, and, and insane and unjustified, but I'm a little bit concerned about software co- quality ever since uh, Johnny Ive took over um, responsibility for the user interface um, and iOS 7 came out. And I love iOS 7, but it has a lot of rough areas, and iOS 8 has a lot of rough areas, that they, and it just doesn't seem like you're to polish them, especially on iPad. There are a couple of things on iPad, window glitches, buy glitches that are significant and that I just am surprised they continue to ship and not regard as fairly high level, um, you know, important problems to fix. Uh, so I, you know, what we're looking at now is Apple growing and and over the next few years, we'll find out if Apple can grow without losing focus and, and, and falling apart. I've been thinking a lot lately about Apple pay. I'm really curious about Apple pay. I, to me, Apple pay seems like, um, an unusually high risk, low reward venture. Um, and I'm really surprised uh, by some of its details. And um, so I, I'll be curious to see what happens with Apple Pay, for example. Um, so, you know, we'll see. <laughs> what is it
0: that, um, what details about it surprise you about Apple Pay?
1: Well, the, the big thing about Apple Pay, right, is let's imagine the most successful outcome for apple pay that would be that within two years a lot a lot a lot of mainstream retailers and mainstream points of sale use or support apple pay so many many stores across the country and maybe eventually globally you can wave your hand either with your watch or your phone and pay okay even in that out even in that world where we basically imagine maximum adoption The fact is that payments are the longest tail of all long tail industries. I mean, probably not literally, but they're very long tail, and they're Mm -hmm. long tail in a way that causes a specific problem. As long as there are merchants out there who refuse to take Apple Pay, And keep in mind, there are merchants out there right now who refuse to take credit cards. You still have to take credit cards with you everywhere. And in fact, you have to take cash with you everywhere. Even today, especially in San Francisco, you often have to have cash because tons of places won't take credit cards. So in this sense, credit cards in San Francisco, especially in New Orleans as well, have not solved the cash problem. So now I have to carry cash and credit cards. How large a percentage of the payments market does Apple have to capture for me to stop carrying cash and credit cards, I mean, it's, it's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen, as long as there is a mechanic shop, a, a taco truck, uh, a pet store, where they say, oh, we don't take Apple Pay, I need to have my wallet with me. And I'll continue to have to have my wallet with me to identify myself to the police when they pull me over, for all kinds, you know, to get on planes. So it's one of these interesting situations where the best case scenario for Apple Pay is that it is just another option for paying. And that doesn't seem all that good. It doesn't seem super exciting. Now I know that the the mobile payments thing is not really about, boy, we've got to get rid of wallets. We hate wallets because wallets really don't seem to be going anywhere. And I doubt they will. And by the time they do, they'll probably come back as smart wallets with integrated LCDs and like a thumbprint scanner. And Johnny Ive will introduce the Apple wallet. And we'll have to, we're just going to go through these endless cycles of deprecating and then reinvigorating all of our accessories and having to buy them. But (laughs) But but the wallet, you know, is going to be persistent. So it's just that I don't see a huge amount of upside for Apple with Apple Pay. They're not going to make a lot of money out of it. It doesn't seem like it delivers huge convenience value. It doesn't seem like it can possibly push aside our standard forms of payment. And as a result, they will continue to, to persist. And as a result, all merchants and all buyers will now basically be obliged to support cash, credit cards, and some form of this new Apple Pay slash... NFC slash Google Wallet world. And how much focus is it going to take for Apple to keep Apple Pay going and to develop it? You know, how many designers, developers, support personnel, how many managers, how many lawyers, um, and all of it. So you, you, I think you probably get kind of what I'm saying, basically, sure. it just seems like it could potentially be a lot of investment. And I'm not totally clear that this ever sells a phone. I'm not really clear that anyone ever says... Yeah, you know, my, Brit, my, my, my buddy Brandon, we go out, and the dude just pays with his watch everywhere. It's incredible. I really want to do it. I've got to get an iPhone, and I've been using Android. Now I'm going to switch. You know, I, I just don't see that. Um, it seems more like it, it, it's a, they're pressing strategic advantage again. They're just saying, hey, we control hardware, software, services, and we uh, make our money off of the, the hardware, so we don't need to, you know, mess up your business model. So we can go to banks and, we can, and processors and say, hey, participate with us. And, and, and they did, and they got all those And so their model enables them to, you know, be additive in there or be at least be greater. I just don't see the the end user value. And given the long tail problem in the market in general, I don't see, you know, them capturing a dominant position. So that's all. It's not, again, I don't think it's bad. It's just a little bit more like, why are they doing this? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Are they doing this just because everybody said they had to do it? Is it just because everybody's been talking about NFC for five years and finally somebody on the inside said, you know, let's just make an Apple pay?
0: <laughs> let's appease the masses.
1: Um, cool. I think that's all the time we have. OK. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Later.